Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into Hoopsville on this Thursday, February 21, 2019. I am your host, Dave McHugh, getting going here as we are on the final Thursday of the regular season, folks. It is down to this. You either win or you hope, hope, hope that the committee likes you in some way, shape, and form to keep you uh, playing in March. It, 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 it boils down to this. you, you got to win. And, and, and some teams, even if they lose in the end, have to win. They can't just hope they don't survive or hope to survive this week without doing something spectacular to improve their uh, qualifications, as it were, for the NCAA Division Three tournaments. I am Dave McHugh, as we mentioned, coming to you from the D3 Hoops, or coming to you thanks to D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC studios. If you got questions for us, you can always tweet us at D3Hoopsville. Hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, dave.mcqueue at d3sports.com. You can also join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. There is a ton of games going on today that we will, tonight, that we will try and keep an eye on. Thanks in part to Mother Nature, once again making the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast her playground. Uh, and even, I should say, the uh, Upper Midwest uh, had games pushed to today due to the weather. So yesterday, I think total of eight men's games? Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Uh, that's what it seemed like. Uh, so today we have a chock-a-block day. It actually feels like a normal Wednesday, but on a Thursday. So we will keep track of what is going on around Division Three tonight the best we can while at the same time talking about what we've titled the show Bubble Trouble. You're going to talk to a couple of teams that are either already in a position of hoping to get in thanks to the NCAA committees or understand that they are in a situation where they might need to get the job done this weekend. We'll also talk to a coach whose season's already complete and is already focused on next season, but that's also her job. That's coming up in the WBCA Center Court. So lots to talk about tonight, lots to try and keep up with with all of you, and we hope you'll take full advantage of our show, ask us questions, and whatnot, we'll do our best to reply to your questions, whether you we see them on our Facebook simulcast, whether we see them on the YouTube um, channel, whether we see them email, on, on Twitter. However you get a hold of us, we will do our best to answer your questions here tonight. Um, let's talk a little bit about... Um, Sorry, I got a little distracted. I, I thought I saved something to something, and it looks like it didn't save it to something, so I'm a little perfuddled as to what's going on. Uh, yeah, we saved it to the wrong place is what happened. Um, the, the third week regional rankings are out. They are a good barometer for us to understand where teams sit in terms of of either getting into the tournament or not, should they not win their conference automatic qualifier? And if they're in a chance to possibly host, please remember that these rankings can technically change two more times. For example, Great Lakes uh, men's has Marietta number one. That data and those decisions based on the data were, were done before Marietta lost in the quarterfinals of the conference tournament on Tuesday. And by the way, the rack met Tuesday, the national meets Wednesday. It doesn't matter. It's all based on, on games through Sunday night. Marietta 
I would suspect will not stay in the number one slot. There's always a chance they could, considering how many, basically, only what, 42 teams essentially win this week? 43, technically? 44? ACAA and the AEC will have winners, obviously. So 44 teams will be the only ones to have won this week who are playing this week. And so, sure, Marietta could stay in the number one spot. I suspect they will fall. But that was not reflective in the regional rankings. The Racks will get together one more time. Off the top of my head, I believe it's Sunday morning, somewhat early. Hope nobody had church plans. They will meet in the morning and go through their rankings and decide what they want their rankings to, to, to be, understanding there's at least 12 conferences who will be, um, and most a lot of them in the South region, uh, interestingly enough, will decide their conference championships that day. And so they will say, here's what our rankings are. Now, if so-and-so were to win, then this is our rankings. If so-and-so is to lose, here's our rankings. If so-and-so else is going to win and and he wins and here's our ranking and they give a bunch of scenarios and send them to the national committee and then the national committee takes those rankings they run another set of results versus regionally ranked opponents data and then they create what is ultimately the final data set now week the the racks will choose the results versus regionally ranked opponents data will come from week three when they make their rankings and send them to the National Committee. The National Committee will tweak that, finish that, and, and tidy up week four and put it in a bow. Then they will rerun the results versus regionally ranked opponents data again and redo the rankings to what they have. And their results versus regionally ranked opponents data will come from week three and those final ones that the racks based it on. So they actually technically end up with two rankings worth of reach of VRRO data. The reason for that is that that change at the end doesn't have somebody drop off the rankings and, and maybe a little bit of an unfair um, um, instance for a team and their data. And it's essentially it. So technically there's two more rankings still ahead. We won't see those final regional rankings until the brackets are released on Monday. Speaking of which, Let's talk about programming. Tonight on the air at 7 o'clock, we'll go about two hours, maybe a little longer. I'm hemming and hawing about an idea for later in the show. And then at uh, Sunday, we'll be on the air at 6 p.m. Eastern. We will do. We will not only hear from some teams that maybe have already punched their, their uh, tickets, as it were, to March. Maybe, depending on how things work, we may talk to some on the bubble. We will also do mock selections, both men and women, and we will intermix that. A lot of times we'll run an interview or two to help um, us get a little bit of work behind, done behind the scenes and, and release some more rankings. We also, in a new added feature, we will hear one more time from the National Committee chairs ahead of us doing mock selections. Just as a reminder of how this all works, how things have gone for them so far, and whatnot. Very quick interviews. I certainly reference you back to our Hoopsville Marathon interviews back on January 31 to, to hear an in-depth conversation with those committee chairs, but we're going to quickly talk to them. They will be pre-taped interviews that we will run on Sunday. And then on Monday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern time, the men's bracket will be um, broadcast on NCAA.com. We'll have the, the uh, broadcast as well at, at D3Hoops.com. 2.30 p.m. Eastern, the women's bracket will be announced. 
in the same fashion. And in a new planning, Hoopsville will now air at 7 o'clock Eastern that evening. Now, we've normally tried to get on about 3.30 in the afternoon, to be honest. It isn't a great show because we don't get as many guests or at least get things booked like we want. Sometimes we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants with the committee chairs. So we will now go at 7 o'clock, allow ourselves the afternoon to get some work done, get it, get that show buttoned up, ready to go, and go on the air at 7 o'clock Eastern. And hopefully the plan is to hear also from both committee chairs plus some other teams. Did you get all that? There will be a test at the end. Hope you all followed that. Hope it all made sense. So that's how you can follow things along here on Hoopsville. Of course, d3hoops.com. We have the conference tournament trackers, both men and women, constantly on our front page in that headline section. You can keep track of teams that are playing still, the results in the tournament so far. When tournaments have been wrapped up or a significant team has lost, we'll indicate who we feel constantly updated the at-large opportunities are. And obviously where the AQs are, only one automatic qualifier has been determined. That's the WashU women. We announced that obviously on Sunday as a one on Sunday to clinch that. 30th straight year, by the way, they made the NCAA tournament. Talk about a heck of a streak. But keep track of that. Men's and women's top 20 are the uh, tournament trackers are on the uh, front page and will always be there and we'll constantly keep those up to date. Again, tonight, a lot of games going on that we'll keep an eye on the best we can. So there you go. That's kind of a, the long and the short of it. Brennan asks on Twitter, and I'm going to move our monitor a little bit here so I can read it better. He says, who needs to win more for its tournament's resume in the CCIW semifinal game between Wheaton and North Central? I think North Central has to. But here's the thing. I actually think it's a 50-50. I think a lot of people are a lot of co more confident in Wheaton getting into the NCAA tournament than I am at this point. Um, I, I know how regional rankings look. Um, I'm going to call them back up just to remind me because there's 100 things going on this time of year. Uh, Wheaton is sitting in the three-hole at 17-7 and seven with Lacrosse and North Central behind them. For that reason, I think North Central has to win it because they're obviously behind Wheaton. That being said, if Wheaton were to lose that game, they're now 17-8. and eight. I think they end up falling. North Central obviously would win and move up. And I think then Wheaton is in a very dangerous spot on whether they get in and maybe get stuck behind somebody else. I don't know if they can fall behind Stevens Point, but they might fall behind lacrosse. I think that's a 50-50. They do have more wins than lacrosse, so that might be a, a misread on my part. But obviously, North Central wins it. I think they get ahead of Wheaton. If Wheaton wins, North Central's chances are probably dead. And, and I say that because I can't see them moving up from five with a loss to Wheaton. So really, I think whoever wins that probably does a lot to assure themselves to get in. And the other one does a lot to maybe play themselves out. That's almost a must win for whoever wins that game. I believe that's coming up on Friday night if I'm, if I'm yeah, Friday night. Uh, the good question, Brennan. That's certainly a good one to say the least. Uh, we'll keep track of any other questions you may have and fire our way. Uh, we've got the scroll at the bottom obviously telling you how else you can listen. By the way, just got our chat stream running. So if you asked us any questions on Periscope, we missed them. Um, so I, uh, I apologize that now. Ryan writes in the WIAC, would lacrosse and Stevens point if they play in the WIAC championship? In other words, who would get in? Well, Oshkosh is a lock. They're in. Um, lacrosse will do a lot to guarantee, to help themselves get in. Stevens point, I think, has to win, to win the entire thing. I don't think Stevens point getting to the WIAC championship will have done enough at 15 and 7. you got to figure they get to that game. They're what, 16 and 16 and 7? 16 and 8 if they lose it. 
I might be wrong on that. I realize I may be missing a game in there. Um, I don't think that's enough. I don't, I don't, I think, I think Steven's point, no matter what has to win the conference championship to get in the tournament. I don't think there's any other way they get in lacrosse getting to the conference championship will do a lot to help them possibly secure a bid considering how much they were reeling here at the end of the season. That will be certainly significant, but again, that central region is just jammed. Augustana is in lacrosse Oshkosh is in Wheaton's in a good spot, but the difference between the, the gap between 22 and two and 22 and one, and I'm using the regional rankings again from, from this week. And so the data through Sunday, and then Wheaton at 17 and seven and lacrosse at 15, and eight, that's a huge gap. And so you, yeah, somebody will get to the table there, but there's going to be a lot of other teams around the country going to have better resumes before the central is even taken seriously yet again. Uh, for an at-large, whoever can be in that spot, whether it's Wheaton, Lacrosse, or North Central, it's good. You don't want to be the second or third team in line there in the Central, and I think that's where things get a little hairy. Be the first team, be that third-ranked national or third-ranked team in the in the Central, and you're in good shape. Be the fourth and fifth and further. I think you're in trouble. I think you're in a lot of trouble. Uh, and that's not true across the board in every other region. Uh, in the Atlantic, I think you, you're in trouble at three. Um, I think the top two are probably in. In the East, I'm not all that sure at two, three, to be honest. Plattsburgh maybe gets in. Maybe Oswego's okay. But I, I'm a little nervous there. And the Great Lakes, I think it goes further. I think you can get down to the fifth, sixth spot before you start to really throw up some flags. In the Mid-Atlantic, I think it's the three spot, roughly. Uh, northeast, off the top of my head, I think you're looking at the six spot, roughly. Granted, some teams are going to go in ahead of anyway, but I think the six spot in the Northeast, your sweet, you know, kind of your Mendoza line. In the South, uh, <laughs> this one's a little trickier because you have Guilford, Lynchburg, and WNL sitting in that four, five, seven hole with Roanoke at the eight. Whoever survives that and gets to the championship game, I think's in, and everybody else is fending for themselves. I think the, the the sweet spot there is around four. And then in the West, here's the deal. Listen, Whitworth, I think, has got to get at least to the conference championship and hope and pray Pomona Pitzer wins the automatic bid. I just don't see Whitworth jumping Pomona Pitzer in any way, shape, and form right now otherwise. Um, and if Whitworth wants to get in the NCAA tournament, they've got to, they've got to either win the AQ or they got to hope Pomona Pitzer wins it so that Whitworth can at least get to the table. But I'm, I'd be a little nervous if, if I'm, if I'm a fan of, uh, if I'm a fan of the Pirates, um, that loss to Puget Sound, along with a loss to Willamette earlier this season, are bad losses in the resume conversation. I think the Texas-Dallas loss doesn't hurt them that much. Um, but those last two, the Willamette and Puget Sound, are bad. And, and here's, the, here's the deal. If they don't beat Whitman again, they go 0-3 against their biggest resume builder, and that won't help them either. And so that's where I'm, I'm a little worried about Whitworth, to say the least. Uh, so let's talk about what's coming up on the show real quick to give you a sense. Not a lot of guests tonight. Tried to keep it a little bit light. Um, Kevin Quick actually asking a question a few hours ago on the show here. We'll try and uh, answer it in a minute. But 
Um, Cameron Hill from Trinity, Texas women's basketball. will come up here in a little bit. We'll talk to him about an interesting scenario. They're the top dog. And at, at one point in the interview, I, it's pre-taped because they're busy. Uh, I mentioned that they're, they're hosting. They're not hosting. It's a predetermined host in the SCAC, though they're very nearby. Texas Lutheran, not that far away from Trinity, Texas. They are the top seed, but they're in that spot in the South region on the women's side that it's a little tenuous. We talk about whether they need to win or get in and what's their mentality and really what's been the mentality of the team. And, and, and looking back at, at games like, you know, games like St. Thomas that were good to build the resume, but also not helpful in the fact that they lost by 40 something. Dr. Kristen Caret, uh, the um, Cedar Crest women's basketball coach. She's also assistant director of athletic performance for Cedar Crest. She's appearing in our WBCA center court segment. We're going to talk about the challenges of keeping a team fresh in the Division Three world, especially in the offseason, and a little bit of this kind of coming off the Stevens Point investigation. Remember, they did a lot of illegal practices, illegal workouts, and whatnot. We'll talk to her about her job doing that, what, what drives her, what brought her to Cedar Crest, by the way. Her last job was an assistant coach at Tufts. We'll talk about all of that, and we'll talk about those challenges of how do you do this work while at the same time staying within the rules of the Division Three level. And then Jeff Brown from Middlebury will join us. Middlebury has once again lost in the quarterfinals, could go a couple of weeks before playing another game. But will they get in the NCAA tournament? You go back to those, those uh, regional rankings on the, new, on the northeast side, and, and Middlebury is sitting in the five-hole and has not gained a win and has picked up an extra loss. Are they nervous that they may not get into the tournament as good as they were playing near the end of the season? So that is all ahead here on the show. The other thing we'll do is when we come back from break, we'll also talk about the excitement that is the Division Three tournament or the conference tournaments in just thrilling fashion. We'll talk about Augsburg men's basketball, how, how a spectacular win over St. Olaf has uh, kept them alive in the conference tournament. But more importantly, we'll talk about the guy who hit who hit that game winner. Why well, he also knows all about the team's dirty laundry. That's all ahead here on the show. Again, you can ask us questions, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or using the hashtag Hoopsville. Brennan asks again, and is Loris in no matter what happens the rest of the conference tournament, or do you think they need to win tonight versus Dubuque? I think they need to win tonight against Dubuque. Um Listen, they're not in horrible shape sitting in the four spot. But again, a loss could put them behind Pomona Pitzer. If Pomona Pitzer doesn't win the conference championship, they also will have gone 0-3 against Dubuque, which will not help their conversation and resume here. What's keeping them as high as they are right now is the fact they've beaten Nebraska Wesley in a 1 and beaten Augustana a 1 in regional rankings. That's helping them. But going 0-3 against Dubuque, who's not even ranked, Adding another loss to what will now become a six-loss team, 18-6, and six, risks getting stuck behind Pomona Pitzer. So they got to beat Dubuque. I think they beat Dubuque there in the tournament. But if they don't beat Dubuque, Loris could have played themselves out after having two, really three of the more spectacular victories this season. Not only did they beat um, Nebraska Wesleyan, obviously, a few weeks ago, they beat Augustana, as we mentioned. They also beat the D2 Augustana who is a pretty, just as good as Augustana D3. So they've had a great season, but the, their their losses are hurting them. And, and I think they need to get past Dubuque tonight, to say the least. So that's how you can ask us questions on Twitter. You can also email us, dave.mchugh at d3sports.com. That's information all screened at the bottom. We got an email earlier talking about the Skyhawk Women's Championships. And the winner of the Saturday's game, will, will their first tournament game be held? To be honest with you, that's a great question. I'm not sure. Uh, I th- the advantage to the Skyhawk team is we can put them anywhere. 
You're going to have a Skyac team and a Northwest Conference team. I don't know necessarily if the Northwest Conference gets two teams in. George Fox is in pretty good shape. Maybe if they lose to Whitman in the conference championship, you get two teams in. That might dictate that you got to put some teams up in the Northwest and play at George Fox. The easy answer is that it has been for years to send the Skyac team up there. However, let's say George Fox is the only one out of there. You now have to fly both teams, essentially. Well, now you can put them anywhere. You can put anywhere you need to fill in a pod, whether that's Texas, the central part of the country, Great Lakes. I dare say you could fly them all the way to the East Coast somewhere. I don't love the idea of all the way coast to coast just for for time reasons. Um, but the Sky team can really go anywhere. And, and I think it's going to depend on what happens in the Northwest. Uh, that was an email question. We'll probably have to email that individual back. I'm not sure if they're listening to us on the phone, Janet, but thanks for the question nonetheless. So that's how you get a hold of us. There's also the chat rooms on you on YouTube and Facebook, which people have used already, and we'll try and get you those questions answered. When we come back, we will check the scoreboards. We will talk about Aug- Augsburg's great win and why, again, their best player knows all about the team's dirty laundry and much more. You're listening to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. Back with more Hoopsville when we get back. Big shots. Big dunks. This trophy is not given. It must be earned. The 2019 NCAA Division III Men's Basketball Championship, March 15th and 16th at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum Arena in Fort Wayne. With his third triple. Visit NCAA.com slash tickets and secure your seats today. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. 
We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to Hoopsville here, everybody, on this Thursday evening, January 21st. A reminder, we will be on the air Sunday starting at 6 p.m. Eastern for a monster show. Uh, we will go through uh, tournament selections, um, who we believe the, the, the at-large teams will be. We'll start with men and then do women. We'll have our all-star crew on hand to do that. Looking forward to it and, uh, and and looking forward to having some fun with it. We will also hear possibly from some coaches and teams who have punched their tickets in, maybe are sitting on the bubble. And, of course, we'll also talk to um, committee chairs, at least is our plan, quickly in the pre-taped interviews reminding everybody how this process works and what they've been working on so far this year. It is a pre-taped interview on Sunday. Uh, as they will be a little too busy to join us live. We're checking scores in around Division Three on the men's and women's side of things. A, a ton of games, thanks to Mother Nature here this evening. Quick score update. I see WPI has got an early lead on number eight, MIT, 16 to 10. It's um, about halfway through the first half. Capitals up on Baldwin-Wallace. They've doubled them up about, well, about 6.50 left to go there in the first half. Nichols trails Western New England currently here, about 747 in the first half, 31-23. Lots of other games to keep an eye on in around the country. We'll do our best to try and, and keep an eye on, on what upsets may be happening. Scranton's got a 10-point lead with four minutes left to go in the second quarter in women's basketball. St. Thomas is having an easy time with Gustavus Adolphus. We have our first final. Um, by the way, St. Thomas score was 60-33 to with two minutes left in the game. St. Joseph's of Maine defeated Suffolk 84-51, so they move on in their conference tournament. Um, oh, another one, Texas-Dallas over McMurray in women's basketball, 80-64. to So that one's been buttoned up. Harden-Simmons also got past University of the Ozarks, 67-49. So some games already done and dusted, and we'll keep an eye on those throughout the show. Part of the excitement of this week is the conference tournaments, obviously, is the buzzer beaters and the and the last second shots. Uh, one of the things that uh, was pretty spectacular to watch was Augsburg men. If if you didn't see <laughs> this shot, I listen. There's times when you know what's going to happen, and you and you and you just know this is how it's going to play out. Um, I, I've never been in a situation, to be honest where it was so darn obvious and it still worked so darn well. Um, 
Augsburg, who's having a, a darn good season, 18 and 8 at now. They were 17 and 8 coming into this game. Has a heck of a shooter, by the way. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cold still kind of affecting me. In Booker Copeland. Booker was given the ball with about 20 seconds left, tied with St. Olaf, 64-64, and this is how it all played out. Mulligan, there's the handoff, and now we wait. And it's going to be Beck, who's been the man on Copeland all night, to try to hold him off. 12 seconds. 10 seconds and 9. We'll see when Booker makes the move. Down to 6, down to 5, 4, 3, here comes the shot for the win. Yes! At the buzzer, and a spectacular shot. See it again from the low angle. Even when you know it's coming, double team coming over, hits the shot, gets mobbed by his team. St. Olaf takes the loss, unfortunately. An outstanding effort, to say the least. And after the game, uh, you're going to see the video of it. Copeland talked about the tournament, the conference, and the game winner. These are two games where you know, Saturday was kind of odd. You were you were short in the lineup. You didn't have Matt Carrick back here today against a really good St. Olaf team that played you really well on Saturday. What was different about today's game for you guys than Saturday, aside from the personnel? Um, honestly, just intensity. You know, focus and intensity the whole way through. Um, you know, we stuck to the game plan and uh, you know did the things we wanted to. They hit a lot of shots. Um, we deviated from it a little bit, but for the most part, we were able to get stops and, you know, score. First half, you guys were really slick offensively. You put up 41 points. Shots are a little tougher to come by in the second half. Game was a lot more physical, it seemed like. Yeah. I mean, you could tell I'm bleeding everywhere, man. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's classic Mayak, you know, playoff basketball. It's, it's a grind. It's always tough, low scoring, and, um, you know, we just came out on top. Finally, that last play, when you waited for 20 seconds, you're yep. staring down a guy who'd been defending you all night. Yep. Was the plan to take that shot all along, or was it to see what was in front of you? Um, yep, I was thinking pull-up. You know, they were collapsing, so it made it real tough to, you know, get to the rim. Um, the pull-up was there for most of the night. You know, I was missing a lot of them, but that was the plan. You know, don't give them a chance. Take the final shot and hope it goes in. I want to thank Don Stoner at Augsburg for uh, providing that uh, video for us to see uh, such a great finish there for Augsburg as our good friend Justin Sweeney says somewhere Devin George is proud. Yeah, Devin George, remember, an Augsburg grad, played 11 years in the NCAA, or in the NCAA, in the NBA, winning three uh, world championships. Uh, Copeland's got a heck of a trigger uh, and a tremendous win to push them on to the uh, the rest of the tournament, uh, or the conference tournament, obviously. Um, they are playing St. Thomas tonight. That game is scheduled for a nine o'clock Eastern tip. So they'll probably tip after we've gone off the air. But speaking of Copeland, he, he's got an interesting story. You see, the man is, um, how do you say he's, he's, he's got a job as everybody does. And his job on campus, well, as David McCoy from WCCO CBS four in, in in Minnesota tells us it's all about knowing his team's um say you say dirty laundry. Watch Booker Copeland play, you quickly realize this guy's different. The junior from Shakopee does it all: scoring, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals. In fact, he's leading the conference in just about all those categories. Third in the nation in scoring, and a likely All-American. But it's after the game ends where Copeland's versatility really shines. 
He even washes the uniforms. Yeah, I'm doing the dirty work. Yeah. We got this new one now, so. Copeland's student job on campus is in the athletic laundry and uniform storage area for Augsburg's men's sports teams. Help to get some extra money, um, try and pay for school a little bit. Keep in mind, in Division Three, there's no scholarships. I messed up a few times the first. My mom might be upset about that, but, you know, jerseys are, you know, sometimes difficult, especially maroon and white, you know, try not to get it pink. Funny thing, he'd never done his own laundry before. My mom did all my laundry, I'll admit. Yeah. And she actually laughed when I told her, I'm going to be doing the laundry. She said, oh, for the first time ever, huh? <laughs> he takes a lot of pride in his work. Friday night. After all, the uniform is the symbol of the team. If you look good, you play good, right? <laughs> when he's wearing his uniform, he's one of the best in the country. I like to work on everything, you know, make my weaknesses, my strengths. His stats so good, in fact, they're the best in Augsburg history, since a guy named Devin George, who went on to play 11 years in the NBA. So yeah, all of a sudden the laundry guys got some real potential. Just to even be considered, you know, in the same conversation with such a, you know, phenomenal player is phenomenal. It's really, you know, exciting and obviously I have confidence in myself and um, I have really high, you know, goals, dreams and expectations. Just keep but if for some reason pro basketball doesn't work out, at least he's got some other work experience. I'd like to think I'm decent at laundry now. <laughs> David McCoy. WCCO for sports. Uh, can, can you find a better story? It's absolutely awesome. He's got stats that are equal to or better than Devin George. That doesn't mean he's going to go off to an NBA career necessarily, but the man knows how to do laundry. He is a catch for whoever wants him. Um, he's also got a heck of a quick uh, release, as we showed you earlier. Thanks again to uh, David McCoy, the uh, WCCO for sports reporter out there and also to Don Stone, Don Stone, Don Stoner, sir. Yeah, yeah I know, Don. Thanks for uh, helping us out with those stories. I, I couldn't get enough of them. I had to make sure we got him on the show. The fact that he buried the shot on the same week that he's got uh, that feature story. By the way, when, when weather was probably ruling everything in Minnesota this week, um, hats off to, to Booker Copeland. Looking forward to see what Augsburg can do. Again, they take on St. Thomas tonight. Granted, if you're listening to this on demand or on the podcast, you already know about that. Uh, again, we're keeping track of scores. By the way, somebody asked us a question just as we were going to break on our Periscope stream. And it was Jay Murray asking us. I think Jay's associated uh, with uh, WashU, but just in case. How rare is it for the 7th or 8th ranked team in a region to get uh, into the tournament as a pool C? It is rare. I would say pretty rare. I, at the, I don't think it's... Maybe once a year. I, and even then, I don't think it happens that often. I remember on the women's side a number of years ago, they absolutely went to the rankings that weren't public. And, and we should point out that they might regionally rank. You might see, what, eight teams in one region, seven in another. Obviously, in the Northeast, it's 11 on the men's and 12 on the women's side. But they will rank below that because on the off chance that all of those teams come off the table, whether through automatic bids or, or at-large selections, they still need more teams there. So some, some teams will rise. Now, they don't get all of a sudden VRO data. They are not regionally ranked teams, but you need teams there. So there, there will be rankings below what we see publicly. And anyway, my point being is I, I, think, I can think of one time, maybe twice, that I've ever known the rankings to feature having used everybody. And I can think of a handful of times, maybe a, a region like the Northeast has gone eight, nine deep. 
otherwise, it's pretty rare. If you are in the bottom half, the bottom third, especially bottom third, bottom third to bottom half of a region, you need an at you you need to win the AQ. Your, your at large chances are, are are pretty slim. That's pretty much how to look at that. But uh, we responded to Jay on air or on through the system just in case. But uh, glad he asked us the question. Nonetheless, going to take another break. When we come back, we will talk a little bit about that bubble. Uh, and we'll talk to Trinity women's basketball coach Cameron Hill about being the top dog in the ASC, do, or yeah, sorry, the SCAC. Because of the ASC and other things, do they feel like they've got to win to get in, as it were? Um, do, can they afford really to not win the SCAC tournament? And we'll talk to about what they call the Together Tigers. This is a young team playing well. We'll talk to him about what it all means. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops Hope when we get back. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. Welcome to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, home of Blue Gold Athletics. UW-Eau Claire has been ranked the top five regional public university for over 20 years. We graduate champions with the lowest debt and highest return on investment in the Midwest. Blue Gold Athletics is a Director's Cup Top 20 Division III program offering 22 sports with almost 700 student-athletes. UW-Eau Claire is about excellence in the classroom, the field of competition, and the community. Are you the next Blue Gold? My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I play because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. Big shots. Teamwork. This trophy is not given. It must be earned. The 2019 NCAA Division III Women's Basketball Championship, March 15th and 16th at the Krager Center in Salem. Bounces right back with a triple. Great job here. And that'll do it! Visit NCAA.com slash tickets and get your tickets today.
and welcome back to Hoopsville on this Thursday evening, the 21st of February 2019. Continue to watch scores from around the country to make sure how things are playing out. One score that jumps out at me is WPI has an early lead on MIT. Minute 13 left to go in the first half. They've got a 12-point lead on the Engineers. WPI trying to play spoiler. Of course, well coached under Chris Brantley. Uh, Capital has a lead over Baldwin-Wallace at halftime. Nichols finds themselves down 15 to Western New England, 46-31. So some scores we'll keep an eye on um, so far in this one. Regionally ranked team, for example, York of Pennsylvania. Up on Mary Washington, 32-29 late in the first half as well. Plenty of other games to keep an eye on. On the women's side, so far nothing jumping out of us. St. Thomas got the win over Gustavus Adolphus, 64-39. There are now five games done on the women's side as Merchant Marine got past Farmingdale State. Um in the Skyline Conference. So keep an eye on things, and we'll uh, continue to keep an eye on things throughout the rest of the show. Earlier today, I got a chance to talk to Trinity, Texas women's basketball coach Cameron Hill about his squad and how he felt things were going this season. Uh, the team is 21-4, and 14-2 and two in conference play. They are the top dog, but they are not hosting the SCAC, despite what you're about to hear in the interview where I went sideways on that for a moment. They don't know who they're going to play, and the question is, can they get in if they don't win? Also, what is Together Tigers? It all makes sense when you hear it from Cameron Hill. I talked to him earlier today. Now joining me on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's the head coach of the Trinity Tigers. It is Cameron Hill, and Coach, thanks as always for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure, Dave. Thank you for having me. Oh, I, I absolutely. We love talking basketball. Of course, catching you guys at at, at kind of the the um, summit, as it were, of the regular season. You guys have the conference tournament ahead of you, and it's at your place, which is definitely a plus. But there's still a lot of pressure on how are you guys managing the week and how are you getting ready for what will be hopefully two big games. Yeah, it's actually at TOU this year, so it's close. It's not quite That's at home. That's true, yeah. Uh, but TOU is hosting, so it's been good, man. This team is uh, – we're really, really young, but they're also extraordinarily focused. And it's it's been – really the whole season has been really incredible. But this week in particular, they're, they're definitely attacking this with a contender mentality. They do mm-hmm. not feel like they're the number one seed. They're going to uh, – they're going into this – with every intent of being as competitive as possible. Yeah, I should say, always confuse the number one seed with you guys already kind of have a host set in place uh, for these events, so we always get them confused in the SCAC. But you are the top seed. You guys do have the best position available, uh, at least who you're going to technically face. You guys sit in the middle of the regional rankings right now. Um, it, it, you know, in my eyes, you're, you're in a spot that looks good in in some ways, can can be a challenge in others. Do you feel there's pressure that you got to win this to get in? That that, that the at large may not be reality, or do you feel comfortable that the at large could still be you know one of your uh, realities moving forward? Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't feel pressure either way, but we've always looked at it like we have to win to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite frankly, I mean, that's what I prefer. I I don't think the the South region, you get past the top three, you know, depending on how those other conferences shake out with their champions. I mean, one of those teams is going to get the one or if if there is even an at-large bid coming out of the South, it'll it'll be to the number one, two or three seed. Um, you know, I, I, I don't count on that ever. So, you know, our intent is to earn it and, uh, you know, 
hopefully one of those other teams gets the at-large bid, but I don't think it'll be us. What's interesting is the South this season, and we saw a little bit of it last season, really has developed. Um, you've, you've got yourself in Austin right now in the SCAC. You've got three others, you know, ETVU not ranked, but certainly uh, a team to, to keep an eye on on top of the other two in Mary Harden-Baylor and Dallas in the ASC. How much has this South region changed in the last few years? Because I remember a few years ago talking to you, and you guys were like one of maybe two that, that really anybody took seriously. Yeah, no, and, and don't forget Emory and Henry and Emory. And, I mean, Bill Saps has had a phenomenal year, and Oglethorpe is playing really well. And, you know, it's just uh, – it is. It's great for our region to have basketball kind of growing up a little bit again. And, and there are some very good teams, and there's some really aggressive coaches. And, you know, it, it, it's not just during basketball season that you learn, you know, what's ultimately going to take place. You see them when you're recruiting. You see the work that's being put in in the off season, And – because these events, man, we're all there together. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's not a surprise to me that these schools have ratcheted up their basketball um, and their programs are all humming right now, and it's definitely great for our region. Looking back at your season, uh, you you had some interesting challenges. Uh, you you lost to Harden Simmons early in the in the year. Austin got you guys as well, but you also put yourself on the line against a really good St. Thomas team. And let's be honest, that didn't go exactly your way. Uh, no, in, no, in that one. <laughs> on that trip up north, uh, despite the win over Augsburg. What did you guys learn from the early part of the season that you're using now? Such a great question, man. You always dig into the good stuff. We, um, you know, we, we schedule, I mean, we do everything we can do um, with regards to, like, just timing and, and opportunity to get as many great teams as we can. And, you know, we had to miss a couple games that we would have otherwise had to get that Minnesota trip on the books. And it also required us to go – Augsburg, St. Thomas, Austin, and Centenary mm-hmm. all in the same road trip. So it was a it was a four game, including layovers, six state trip that we were on um, with a team that features two seniors and the rest are underclassmen. So, I mean, it was drinking from the fire hose. Meanwhile, <laughs> the middle two teams are both ranked at the time. St. Thomas obviously is a, is a machine, and and Austin is capable every single time they play. So, you know. We play Augsburg. It's an incredible game. They're a great team as well. Great coach, great players, um, and, and we find a way to win that one. And we're going into a back-to-back with the rest of St. Thomas, and then we're traveling it right into Dallas to play Austin the next day. So it, it just was a, a two-game stretch against really good teams that really forced us to open our eyes as to what we wanted this season to really mean and, and how badly we wanted to fight to kind of get to the level consistently that we needed to be at to to ultimately win this number one seed and give ourselves a great shot going into this conference tournament. The one of the so two there. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, and, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, driving home from Abilene, I thought that the Harden-Simmons loss was a bad loss. And I can tell you that they're a good team. Um, they're well coached also. They've got tough kids. And, you know, they, they beat us. It wasn't, it wasn't a fluke, man. They were good that night. And uh, that game helped us too. Uh, we learned a ton. And, uh, you know, I think this team, as young as we are, I think they've done a great job applying these lessons to how we're playing now. SOS is you know, pretty reasonable at a 537, which certainly thanks to going to the Mayak, for example, and playing and, and playing some other teams along the way. Since then, uh, just one loss. Uh, of course, Texas Luther, interestingly enough, all the losses pretty much on the road. You guys right. have controlled the home a little bit. So you've got a little bit of a mix this weekend. You've, you've got... Yep. The home treatment in the sense is it's not that far away and you are the top seed, but you are right. on the road per se. 
How do you guys make sure that that road bug that seems to have cropped up a few times this season doesn't bite you this weekend? Well, it's, it's tournament time. So there's no, I mean, it's like Gene Hackman and Hoosiers, man. He gets out the same (laughs) measures, 10 feet, 15 feet. I mean, it's about balling now. It's not about where you're playing or even who you're playing. It's just about having a ton of confidence and recognizing the people in the locker room together are all focused on the same goal and just going out and performing. Um, So, yeah, I'm not too concerned about the stage. I'm just excited to see how this team competes. Somewhat of a young team, too. You've got two seniors in the stats column, uh, and Jackie Lang and um, uh, I'm missing the – oh, Rachel Rachel Chavez. Chavez. Yeah. Yeah. But you're led by a junior in Abby Holland at 17.5 points a game. Uh, She's also pulling down nearly six rebounds, handing out about two assists a game, two and a half steals. But Emily Daniel, a sophomore, 10-plus points uh, a game. You also have five and a half rebounds and and nearly 10 points out of Haley Coleman, a freshman, and another one in a sophomore in Julie Ackerman. Those are the stat leaders. This team obviously building towards the future, but what is the youth movement per se, my wording, uh, helped with you guys this season? You know, it's just, it's fun. I mean, I think our our culture here is – really special and we we identify the kind of people more importantly than the kind of players that we want to have around us and you know they're they're ready when they get here it's just a matter of figuring out you know how to how to combine the the players and 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 what philosophically we want to do to give them the best chance to be successful and you know you don't you don't mention jordan rudd Mm -hmm. in that conversation because statistically she's not up in the categories but she is incredible um just such a calming presence and such a great floor general um, you know, and Julia is a great shooter, but she's a great passer. And, you know, obviously with Abby, there's never a situation where, no, sorry, she's in my office right now needing keys to open the closet downstairs. Um, there's never a situation where you feel like she can't go get you a bucket. So, you know, the age of the players hasn't been as, as interesting to me as the way they've developed. Um, that's, that's been where the real gold has been this year. And, I mean, they're they're playing really good team basketball, and it's it's exciting to see, and it's exciting to sit back in my chair and realize that we got the bulk of this team coming back. So, yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a great feeling. Eleven to you know maybe thirteen or fourteen deep in a lot of games too. You're you're willing to go into that youth and into that uh into that bench a bit in in any given time at any given uh, in any given game. For sure. For sure. I mean, that's been a, that's been a focal point from day one here. I mean, we like to have three teams of five every day in practice. Everybody gets mm-hmm. reps. Everybody goes at each other. So we're constantly building that that game depth, so that you know, in the instance that you need somebody, they're they're not playing competitively for the first time in a month. Like they compete every single day, and you know that's that's been awesome because I mean, when you break down the minutes of an entire season, the amount of time you spend practicing is about seven times the amount of time you spend playing games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are the minutes that make a difference. Um, so you, you work those minutes so that the minutes in the games are as clean as you can have them be. And our, our team does – I mean, everybody wants to play, but they embrace what we're trying to do and they rally around the cause. And, uh, you know, I think that will be on display this weekend for sure. The term Together Tigers was shared with me. Um, what is the – what's the mentality <laughs> behind that? We hear a lot of catchphrases and – and, sure. and titles and stuff from teams, but they, they don't always mean the same thing. So what does it mean right. for you guys? You know, it's it's the only way we work. You know, I mean, we, we modify our daily schedule if somebody has a class conflict. We don't ever practice without the whole team. We mm. don't travel without the whole team. There's nothing we do 
where everybody's not included in a valuable part of what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, it started as just something that I would say in my first year here, trying to kind of create a, a, a new culture. Mm-hmm. And it has literally invo- it's evolved into like, we just refer to the players as the togethers. Um, I mean, that's, that's what it is. I mean, it's completely solidified everything that this culture stands for and they buy into it, man. And it's not just our team. Like the whole campus kind of knows together tigers now, which for me to kind of sit back and just watch it all evolve is really special, but the players have absolutely grabbed it with both hands and they're driving it. And I mean, it's a real thing for sure. It's interesting to, to, to hear that because again, it, it changes with everybody. It can also change with the personnel a little bit. You've had a lot of experience and certainly um, excelled at Trinity since you took over the program and kind of gotten back up there. It's obviously never going to be at the exact same level, but how do you maintain the level you guys have had? You know, I mean, I think it starts with, with our assistant coach Joe and the job he does recruiting. I mean, it's his job to put the list together and then we work together to tighten it up and ultimately make the decision on who we want to be a part of this. But the people make everything. I mean, people are, are the most important thing in anything you talk about. And, and we have great people. And, you know, we've we've been able to get the recruiting model to a point where, you know, it, it, it's kind of feeding itself at this point. Um, so I, I just feel like the work we do, the way that we run our program, the way we practice every day, and then the people that we're fortunate to have as members of this program, they all work together to kind of help us generate that consistency. And, um Believe me, though, man, I, I tell you right now, it's not taken for granted by, by, by a long shot. I mean, we work really hard to do it, and our players understand the responsibility that comes with being a member of this team. So, you know, it, it's a lot of work, and I'm, I'm hopeful that, like you talked about, you know, the, the youth of our current roster is going to allow us to continue to do this for many years. How do you guys get ready for the next one? Uh, there's two semifinals, Southwestern in, in, in Colorado and Texas Lutheran and Shriner. Austin's the other one who gets the bye with with you guys. How do you get ready for this game when basically there's so much of an unknown and we're not that far out from that semifinal? Yeah, no, it's it's kind of like a Scooby-Doo ending, man. You don't know who's <laughs> underneath the mask. You're just kind of waiting to see. Um, so we're just kind of doing that, man. We're going to we're going to have a nice workout tomorrow morning and we're going to watch the games and we're going to see who who wins and you know, we've been preparing for all four teams all week long and you know, the beautiful thing about conference play i mean you get two rounds with them every single season Mm -hmm. so you you know a lot there's not a ton of evolution throughout the season some teams change based on injury or eligibility or whatever but for the most part you know we know what they are they know what we are it's going to about you know boil down to who can execute their offensive and defensive game plan better and um you know from that standpoint we're pretty versatile so i like our ability to change based on who we're playing or change based on what may or may not be working inside that particular game so you know, we're just kind of sitting back and paying attention and getting ourselves ready to go. And those games are also early, 12 local and 2 local time, uh, 11, uh, 1 and 3 o'clock Eastern time, so it gives you a chance that yeah. evening to get ready for, sure. for the next day's game. You'll play at 12 o'clock local time on Saturday. Right. Uh, Cameron, always appreciate the time. Appreciate you joining no us and, and chatting about the Tigers. Good luck this weekend in the uh, conference tournament. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Yeah, just uh, as always, man, I think what you do is amazing. I really appreciate you always thinking of us at some point throughout the season, and and I value the time to be on your show. So thank you so much, Dave. I wish you guys the best. Thanks, Cameron. Appreciate it. Give me a, Do me a favor. Give Cunningham a hard time for me uh, when you get a chance. Always appreciate yeah, always. The, the assist on that. Always. Always. <laughs> Take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you soon. 
Thank you, Dave. Absolutely. Cameron Hill joining us from Trinity, Texas, here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Thanks, Cameron, for his time as they get ready for the tournament. Not everybody uh, able to join us on the show here this Thursday evening, but Cameron taking the time to do so. We appreciate it nonetheless. Uh, listen, I, they're right in that weird area, enough upsets, and they need to have the AQ. I, I think there's still a chance you could see four or five teams out of Texas. Um, I just don't – five is a bit of a pipe dream – Four has got a chance. The reality more likely is going to be three. But there's a chance uh, if the right upsets take place, like Austin, for example, beating Trinity in the championship. But we'll see how it plays out. I'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out there down in Texas. And he mentioned the rest of that South chock-a-block as well on the women's side. Uh, you've got, by the way, it looks like earlier this show, I was talking about the weird rankings. I was talking about the second week rankings on the men's side. I apologize. We'll update that later. But on the women's side down there in the South, you know, Emory and Henry is sitting in the two spot. You got Oglethorpe in the four. You got Millsaps in the eight. Emory sitting in the five. Uh, it's. It, I'm a little surprised Yodak's not in a stronger spot. Um, but some of those teams also a little bit more beat up than than I think I expected them to be this time around. Anyway, really, really interesting conversation there with Cameron. We appreciate his time. When we come back, we will uh, talk a little bit about the offseason. Kristen uh, Carrot will join us from Cedar Crest Women's Basketball. She's also the Assistant Director of Athletic Performance. She'll join us in the WBCA Center Court. A little bit interesting topic considering the Stevens Point investigation that finally resolved itself a few weeks ago. We'll talk to her about a lot. Coming up next, you're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. Back with more after this. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Big shots. Teamwork. This trophy is not given. It must be earned. The 2019 NCAA Division III Women's Basketball Championship, March 15th and 16th at the Krager Center in Salem. Bounces right back with a triple. Great job here. And that'll do it! Visit NCAA.com slash tickets and get your tickets today. It's on us. It's on all of us and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault.
And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, here on this Thursday, the 21st of February. Again, if you got questions for us, we're scrolling at the bottom of the screen. Tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. You can also, um, I'm sorry, I do that. Every once in a while, I, I, I cite off that one. That doesn't seem to be working. Email me at dave.mchugh at d3sports.com. Also on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville where we're keeping track of things. If you've messaged us and whatnot, you can also join us on the YouTube page. We're trying to do our best to keep track of wherever you are, even on Periscope. Uh, we'll try and answer your questions, of course, on Twitter, keeping track of scores around the country going on here tonight as well. All right, so we're supposed to talk uh, the show last week, as you all might remember. Of course, being ill didn't work out, but uh, our guest slated for the WBCA Center Court last week was one that we wanted to talk to for a varying degree of reasons one very unique situation at cedar crest college which is an all-women's college but the other reason being is she is the assistant director for athletic performance in other words she's she's kind of oversees workout routines especially in the off season and 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 all that other stuff and with the stevens point case i found that a little bit interesting but at the same time that is very much a thing that there that is taken over a lot of programs um throughout um not only division one obviously where it's very common but in division three as well so joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline is the head coach of Cedar Crest. It is Kristen Carrot. And Coach, thanks for taking the time to join us here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate the time. Um, first and foremost, uh, head coach now at um, uh, there for what? This was your th- second season? Is that correct? Third, second season? Something like that? Third. Third yep, season. I, my third. Yep. I can't do math. It's a, it's a small problem. Um, That's okay. My kids will tell. My kids will tell you. Neither can I. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Very good. I uh, got there in two, 2016. Um, you came from Tufts, if memory serves, where you were an assistant coach for quite a, a bit of time. I, I got to ask, what brought you to Cedar Crest? Um, just just the opportunity to to create something and, and build something kind of from the ground up. Um, you know, my my friends, my my colleagues, my my kids will tell you um, I'm obsessively attracted to challenges, and and I just loved. You know, I, I, I knew that they were um, had a little bit of a down year before I got there. Mm-hmm. They, they had won a game. And then just stepping on campus and meeting the other coaches, meeting with the athletic director, um, I just knew that this would be a great place um, to, to start, you know, my, my head coaching career. So, and so far, so good. We should, we should point out you actually came from Nichols. You started things off at Tufts. I started at Tufts, yeah. yeah. And then went to Nichols where you were the strength and conditioning and, and practice planner. Um, also did some video breakdown, and that's kind of what got me intrigued. Uh, you were suggested by somebody in the WBCA groupings and when uh, WBCA sent out and said, hey, you should talk to, and, and you were one of those they suggested. And I found it interesting that, you know, you besides coaching, strength and conditioning, practice planning, video breakdown, organizing practices, and, and all of that other stuff, people don't realize there's a lot that can sometimes go into not only a head coaching job but extra jobs to uh, to justify um, salaries, for lack of a better description, in Division Three. How did you get so in, involved in those other aspects, and, and what do you find so fascinating about them? Yeah, well, as far as the strength and conditioning side goes, um, that's where I kind of started um, my my career in, in collegiate athletics. Um, I, I had thought that I wanted to go that strength and conditioning route. Um, I loved it. 
I loved working with athletes. I loved working with teams. Um, and then as I had furthered my career that way, I realized I just missed basketball. Yeah. Um, I missed coaching basketball. And I was lucky enough that, that Coach Barui gave me that opportunity to, to kind of do both there in, in a lot of ways. Um, but then here at Cedarcrest, uh, kind of building the – the strength and conditioning program literally from the ground up has been, has been a, a challenge, but also, you know, tremendous experience. And it's actually been a, a whole lot of fun. Um, as far as balancing it all goes, I, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but I'm lucky that I have great student athletes that buy into our program, both through sport and also the strength and conditioning piece. Um, but, but yeah, it's just kind of, it's, it's now in my third year. So it's just kind of par for the course at this point. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot of fun. And, you know, as far as being a coach is, you know, you talk to different coaches every week, break film, breakdown, practice planning, all that stuff is just, it's just part of the job. And when you, when you love it, you love it. And you just, it just kind of becomes ingrained in you that once the season ends, you kind of feel like empty, <laughs> you know, it's like a part of you like, wait, I don't, I don't have to do a scouting report today. I don't need to watch film. Um, it feels like something is missing on, on some days. So it's great. Well, what's interesting though, is you're also in charge of that, to the, especially the, 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 as they called it, Cedar Crest athletic performance side of it for the entire department. And again, single sex, it's not like you've got 25 teams, um, it's, it's what about nine or 10 if, if memory serves, but that's still an interesting thing there. You're, you're now working with the other head coaches and assistants and their teams to cater workouts and all of that stuff in the off season is I understand it for their teams and their players to be ready for when their season starts back up again. Is, is that a fair way of saying it? And how challenging is yeah. that? Yeah. Um, it's a hundred percent accurate. Um, you know, when, in starting the program, it was it was challenging, um, but now um, you know my my sport coaches are probably gonna gonna get mad at me for this, but we're kind of a well oiled machine at this point. Um, they kind of the athletes kind of know what to expect. Um, you know they they've bought into the program, which is you know I I thank the sport coaches and and you know my athletic director a hundred percent for for helping me create that buy-in. Um, but, but yeah, we, we work with the, the athletes, um, you know, in season, they lift one day a week with me, um, out of season, it's, it's three days a week on a volunteer basis. Um, and then their off season is two days a week, once again, on a, on a volunteer basis. Um, but we've had great, we've had great results so far. Um, I think the athletes love it. They really do. Um, and one of the, one of the things I think that has made it so successful, um, as you said, we are a women's college, so we, we do have 10 teams. Um, but how I, how I kind of started the program was I went to every single home game, um, mm. and, and sat on the bench and, and supported these student athletes. So they knew that I was, I was there and, and the head coaches knew that I was a hundred percent on their support staff. You know, mm. I'm an extension of them. Um, you know, what do they need to work on? Uh, what do they see? What do I see? Um, what do the student athletes see and and we just kind of went from there and, and grew the program and and you know so far it's been a great experience of course every sport's different what you design mm -hmm. for basketball is not going to work necessarily for soccer or volleyball or or lacrosse or the like so you also have to sure. be very experienced and understanding of what works and doesn't work for a lot of different kinds of of athletes yeah for sure for sure um and that's you know, that for me is the fun part of it. Um, you know, designing program designing programs um, is, is kind of the, the fun part for me because I get to put my, my thinking hat on mm -hmm. and, 
And and as as you know, some of my coaches and the students will tell you, um, the science part of things is is really what I love. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I sit down with the sport coaches um, at the beginning of their season, at the end of their season. We talk about you know collectively what we liked, what worked, what didn't work, what the student athletes liked, what they didn't work, what injuries did we see, um, where do we need improvements? Um, you know, were they were they able to compete for you know 90 minutes on the soccer field or for five sets in a volleyball game or, or for 40 minutes in a basketball? game and if not where can we make those tweaks um in their sharing initiating programs and and you know it's it's definitely a collective effort um but it's it's been it's been fun so now the challenge of course in division three is that coaches i mean there's there's a very strict time period where coaches yeah. are allowed to work with their student athletes in the gym or on the field or whatnot and that's We've certainly been reminded of that in the Stevens Point men's uh, case that finally came to resolution after three and a half years and how many practices leading up to the season of five weeks and, and coming out of a season for five weeks for five years that they were doing that were organized by the coach, that were run by the coach, that while he may not have overseen them, sometimes he was, um, but he certainly was con- kind of controlling that. How difficult is it? Or I should maybe the better question to start with is how is this able to be done within the guidelines of what Division Three says you can and cannot do? Yeah, I mean I I can't say that we 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 have the perfect solution. I'm sure there are other schools that do it better, but um, we have very open communication between myself and the and the sport coaches. Um, so, and, and with that comes trust, it comes buy-in, it comes, you know, belief in, in, in what we're doing in, in philosophy. So our sport coaches, when, when they come to me, um, you know, whether, it, whether it's in season for a lift or, or out of season during their volunteer workouts where, where I oversee them in the weight room, um, the trust factor is there. Um, you know, they, they know that, that we are going to work to, to get these athletes, um, better we're going to get them to compete we're going to keep them healthy we're going to get them stronger we're going to and we're going to have a little a little fun along the way mm. so it's and, and you know of course sometimes it, it takes you know it takes me you know walking out of someone's office and them following me and, and me saying no no mm. um but it's it's you know it for the most part we we do a great job of that just talking um in season about what we want to do and then out of season just the trust that that the student athletes and i are going to get it done um and and like i said you know we do have those those volunteer workouts in the in the off season that that i am allowed to monitor as as the strength coach and so far you know we've we've got the athletes to buy in we've got the head coaches to buy in so there's there's really no need for them um, to feel as though they have to monitor these workouts or they have to design these, these programs um, or, you know, they have to, you know, be a part of it. There's, there's that trust factor that in, in the conversations that we've had in, during their season of what, of what I need to and what the athletes need to accomplish in the offseason um, through, those, through those volunteer workouts. I'll circle back on the rules again in a second, but another thing too is I understand it is, is you aren't necessarily – required or maybe i should even say the rules don't allow you to even report back to the coach about who's shown up or hasn't shown up there's some something in there so the the players have to trust you too but that's also written in the rules yeah no a hundred percent yeah no there's there's no there's no real communication um allowed between myself and the sport coach um as far especially out of season you know out of season um about you know who's showing up who's you know lifting what weights who's not making their their time those those 
kind of things. And, and that also, I think, you know, especially at Cedar Crest, we've done a good job of also that trust factor with the athletes come in too, um, that, you know, I'm not going to report back times mm. or I'm not going to report back that, that, you know, it's, it's their time where they're, they get to, to get better. They get to, you know, um, get stronger. They get to just kind of work together um, and, and build that team, that team camaraderie as well. So that's what we try to get accomplished, um, sure. and, and and so far, so far, so good. Well, and back to you then being a, a coach yourself, how careful do you have to be with the with your own team? Or, to be blunt, is that a loophole that, I don't want to say you take advantage of, but that allows you to, to be kind of monitoring things? Or do you guys have to find another solution with that? Yeah, no, um, through the NCAA guidelines, it, it would be perfectly okay for me to work with my team. However, um, I do not. Um, they see enough of me um, <laughs> throughout the throughout the season that I think they're probably glad not to not to see my face in the weight room. But no, um, we've we've hired an assistant strength coach that does work with my team, and and no, we we don't. I mean, other than he's my assistant, you know, strength coach. We talk about other teams, but but no, when when they're with him, they're with him. Um, we, we don't we don't have any communication about about my team um, and and could we absolutely but yeah. once again you know I think for my team they need to also have that that trust in that you know camaraderie and that relationship with with my my assistant strength coach um, like I do with all the other with all uh, you know with all the other student athletes. Well, I don't know how familiar you are with the Stevens Point case, but one of the conversations in there, or at least one of the talking points that was being driven, was that a change in the rules in 2011, which is kind of what we're talking about here, where a strength mm-hmm. coach or somebody can oversee a program, or if you have another title, you can, you know, you're allowed to be in the room, as it were, for lack of a better description. They were using mm-hmm. that to say, well, that's why he was in the in the balcony overlooking his team as they were practicing, or whatever the case may be. How much can, how much is that legit? And and not in their case specifically, but I mean generically. How legit yeah. is that, or how much is that a slippery slope that you have to be careful with? Yeah, I think you know I can't speak on on another program, of sure. course. Um, but uh, you know, for for us, we don't we don't try to try to go down that slippery slope. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, can a sport coach be in a weight room to monitor for safety right. um, issues? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I, you know, we don't necessarily utilize that at, at Cedar Crest only because we don't, we don't want that, that what if factor, right. um, you know, what is that, what is that kind of gray area? But that is, that is, I guess, technically it, it could be a loophole, but I do know that there needs to be some certifications that go along with that sure. if they're presenting as a, as a strength conditioning coach. Yeah. Their case was more about facility uh, oversight more than strength and conditioning, but similar ideas. Yeah. So if they're, if they have an assistant coach or, or even a head coach that's overseeing um, the facility, they, they can absolutely be in there. But once again, they can't comment on the workout. They can't, you know, encourage or talk to their players. Yeah. Obviously, if they walk in and say hello, of course, you can say hello. But there can't be any type of cheering or pushing or monitoring or or, you know, pictures being posted, especially for out-of-season teams on Instagram or anything that can go back to the coach 
um, being able to monitor those those student athletes outside of their their yeah. declared season. It certainly opens up Pandora's box, which I think gets Correct. a little crazy in Division Three. But we're going to go down a rabbit hole <laughs> if we go any further. My my absolutely. <laughs> what I really want to get to is how much does this work? And I don't mean that as you know in a negative connotation. I just mean. Are these proven to to be successful to help teams improve in the long run? Well, I mean, I I, I believe obviously it's it's you know a trade. It's something I'm passionate about. Sure. Um, I think it has. I can tell you at Cedarcrest, um, we've increased our win total. Um, and my AD is probably going to kill me for not knowing the exact percentage. <laughs> um, all of our teams oh, have have increased their 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 win total. Um, you know, we had, we've had, uh, our, our fall teams made the, the postseason. Um, you know, we had our, our soccer team play mm-hmm. in the conference championship or you know, mm-hmm. the championship for, for, I believe the first time in CFS history. Um, and I think where I measure it is, is we didn't have one, um, season ending injury. Um, oh, wow. and that's, yeah, that's, that's a big testament to the, 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 the work that the student athletes put in. So, do I think it works? I, I, I believe so. Um, you know, are we going to go from, from you know, 0-25 to national championships the next year based on strength conditioning? <laughs> Probably not. But as far as keeping our, our athletes healthy, I definitely think that it matters. And, and as far as, you know, what I've seen, um, the biggest thing is just that buy-in, that, that compete factor, that, that team bonding that they get in the weight room um, is – I, I think crucial to to their individual sports season. So, I, I definitely think that it has has a, a positive impact on on the student athletes and and sports specific teams. If you went from zero twenty five to national champion, we'd be having you on the show for a whole different reason. Uh, <laughs> curious though, let's talk quickly about your team before I let you go. Cedar Crest is a, is a tough spot. It's an all women's school that probably not a lot of people know about. It's not like the Wellesleys of the world. Um, you did take over oh first season back to back three win seasons now uh six win season now this season, which certainly was a nice step in the right direction. What are the challenges of of getting a program to be successful at a cedar crest like school and and we can certainly go down the list of them and and with that in mind, why can't it succeed like in other words, give me a reason why it, it could succeed um yeah. I think you know a hundred percent of kind of what you just said is is that that comparison to a school like like Wellesley or Smith or Mount Holyoke. Um, you know, I when I took over or the program, I knew that was going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. And in in three years, we we built a culture where now these kids are excited to win. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, I, I think you know they they got a small glimpse of that. Um, if, if you look at our scores from last season to this season, I mean, we competed in almost every game, whereas years before there, we weren't, we weren't really competing. Um, so those kids have now gotten a taste of what it's like to, to be in games. Um, they know what it's like to, to practice hard. They know what it's like to, to get a, you know, see a scattering report and be able to implement that. I think that's the first step. Um, and then recruiting is obviously a, a big, a big part of it. Um, and, and, and selling, you know, what are, you know, what, what Cedar Crest is known for. And, and it's a great academic institution. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an up and coming program. What I say to, what I say to all of my recruits is, you know, you have a chance to build something here. Um, you have a chance to, to really put your name on a program and the way that I coach um, and the way in the kids that I'm, 
that I want in this program, um, they feed off that. They love that. They can't wait to they can't wait to compete. They can't wait to build, and they want to they want to leave the program better than they found it. And I think that that's the, the first step. What's the biggest challenge to recruit at a single sex school? Um, I think I think it's that. Um, okay. I think I think it's I think it's that in and of itself because it's it's you know that one question you ask a recruit that you can't change. Yeah, you know you true. can you can take a kid you can take a kid to a dorm um, or you can take a student athlete into your gym. They may you know they wanted to play for a, you know a school that's blue and white and you're you know you're yellow and black. You know that's that's one of those things. But if if a, if a you know student athlete um, you know is is really against a women's college, I I can't change that. Yeah. <laughs> you know there's there's really no convincing them of that. Um, so I would say that that is that is the biggest the biggest challenge. But there's there are also so many positives. Mm-hmm. To it um but but yeah that's our greatest that's our greatest challenge makes sense uh, i'd love to talk to you more but i'm gonna let you go i know you got better things to do uh but before we do we have this quick six seven question thing that we do with every coach in the wbca center court if you don't mind having a little fun with us sure absolutely uh first favorite thing about coaching especially in division three working with the student athletes makes sense uh, biggest pet peeve in general hmm. In coaching mainly, uh, but yeah, I mean, wherever you want to take that. Uh, poor officials. <laughs> you probably see your fair share, unfortunately. Um, favorite rule or nuance to the game? The 10-second backcourt. You like that? Yeah, I am a fan I of do. that as well. But on that, on that thought, is there any rule you'd want to be, see added, removed, or changed? Uh, I would like the five second on the ball, the um, dribbler back. Yeah, I would too. I love. I miss that call. I still look same. for it, and I keep forgetting it's gone. Oh, same. And then get confused <laughs> when they're when the five seconds called on the holding the ball. Nope. <laughs> My brain yeah. still hasn't done it. It's been how many years now? <laughs> um, you have any um, um, pregame ritual or superstition? Uh, I have a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think the number one is what I write in the corner of our whiteboard every game. Okay, it's same thing, or just you have to same find. Thing. Oh, you do. Nope, same thing. Yep, same thing mind? every every single game. Do you mind sharing? Sure. I say play hard, play smart, play together. Oh, very nice. Um, what's your craziest travel experience? Whether you're a player at Becker or your coaching assistant or head coach, just craziest travel experience. Crazy travel experience is on our way to the Sweet 16 when I was a coach at Tufts and one of our student athletes left their wallet on an airplane. Oh, no. Yeah. Where were you guys going? I forgot what year. Uh, Chicago. That's it was right. My, it was my first year. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my. Left the. Oh, did you get it back? We did. Yes, we did. Oh, good. Uh, oh, jeez. I left my <laughs> wallet on a bus before getting on a train going in Europe. I never saw that wallet again. Um, and my passport, I may add. It's a really great thing to lose in Europe. Um, <laughs> how would your assistants describe you as a coach? Passionate. Okay. This one might be interesting considering the question we asked at the end. How would, what do you tell a recruit that would get them excited or get them to commit to Cedar Crest? The chance to build a program um, and to play for someone who loves the game um, probably just as much, if not more, than they do. Oh, very nice. And finally, when you retire and all good coaches do, when do you hope that uh, people will remember you as a coach? That I left the game uh, better than I found it. Oh, very nice. Appreciate the time. We always give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts for those tuned in? Um, just um, 
congratulations and good luck to all the teams um, left in the tournament. I hope you guys end on a great season. And um, I'm waiting for October 15th already. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Uh, I know you're out of game, so I appreciate the time you gave us. Thanks. Take care, and we'll talk to you somewhere down the road. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dave. Absolutely. Kristen Carrot joining us here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Great to chat with her. Fun to chat with her. Um, fascinating take. You know, again, these are these different jobs that let you stay involved with student athletes. But as she said, she still disconnects, probably for good reason. I, I still think the NCAA's got to go back and maybe look at Division Three. I should say, go back and look at some of those rules. But they they found a way to not have it be an issue. But I find it more interesting of how they use those uh, strength and conditioning people to keep. I mean, when I played, there was nobody in the off season that gave us anything to stay in shape as a soccer player i had to go and figure out what was best for me i probably would have benefited granted this was just when kind of weight training was in its infancy to be to be honest it's not nearly as high tech as it is now but fascinating chat with her appreciate her time when we come back we will switch gears talk to a team who's maybe on the bubble middlebury men's basketball coach jeff brown joins us to talk about his team another loss in the quarterfinals of the nascac and whether they'll be playing in March. Plus, how'd the season go? You listen to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. Of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. UW-Eau Claire and Mayo Clinic Health System are creating amazing opportunities for students from across the Midwest. Our collaborative research agreement allows students to work with world-renowned physicians and scientists. And with more than 80 majors, UW-Eau Claire is the perfect fit for those who dream big and are ready to change the world. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Big shots. Big dunks. This trophy is not given. It must be earned. The 2019 NCAA Division III Men's Basketball Championship, March 15th and 16th at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum Arena in Fort Wayne. With his third triple. Visit NCAA.com tickets and secure your seats today. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. 
It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, here on this Thursday evening. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or use the hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, dave.mchugh at d3sports.com. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville, where we're live simulcasting the show. Also checking the uh, chat boards uh, on any of those avenues in case you have a question or a comment for us. Um, so a little bit of tonight's theme is the bubble trouble. Teams that might be in a, the proverbial bubble situation. Um, interesting enough, Middlebury Panthers, if memory serves, and, and Jeff Brown can maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but Middlebury was in the driver's seat of the NESCAC tournament. Uh, they had finished on uh, in a three-way tie atop the conference standings, and I believe we're going to be hosting the tournament should they continue moving on, despite the fact they had lost to Amherst in their last regular season game, 97-93. Unfortunately, they lost to Tufts, 85-76 in the quarterfinals. Championship tournament, the, the semifinals and championship, I should say, will be at Hamilton instead. And once again, Middlebury finds themselves on the outside. Last time they were in this spot, we all knew they were going to get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, ended up not playing games for a couple of weeks and then doing pretty well in the tournament. What's this time got in store? Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, the head coach of the Panthers, it is Jeff Brown. And, Coach, thanks for the time to, to take to join us. Appreciate it. You, you're welcome, Dave. Curious. Uh, obviously, didn't go as planned. I don't think any coach would like to lose their last two games uh, in a row, but I, I'm sure it stung a little bit more knowing that there was a real chance that you guys would be uh, hosting this weekend the NESCAC tournament. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, for history's sake, uh, this is the third year in a row that we have tied for the regular season yes. <laughs> uh, championship in the NESCAC. And, you know, a year ago we had to go on the road because of the tiebreakers. We ended up being the five seed. And this year being tied with uh, Amherst and Hamilton, uh, you know, we, as luck would have it, uh, you know, we won the tiebreaker and we were in uh, that position, but it, it didn't work out last Saturday against Tufts. Yeah, unfortunately. And, and I, I say a little bit tongue-in-cheek because I know from watching soccer, men's soccer, all the low seeds won the entire way. The eight-seed Colby ended up taking the conference tournament. So to, to say the NESCAC is a battle and, and anything is possible is, would be a, a cliche because obviously a top seed going down shouldn't be the, the, the biggest shock in the world. But I felt like this season, you guys and Amherst kind of lurked while Hamilton and 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 Williams and even Wesley, to some degree, kind of took a lot of the spotlight this season. You guys kind of spread out the losses a little bit, kind of were quiet. It was a nice, what, seven-game run there mid-January to, to early February that put you guys in the spot you were in. What was What was it about your team this year that either was so good that we all missed it or that you guys were still trying to figure out that you finally got in that stretch? Well, I think the biggest thing was just uh, we do have a pretty youthful team. Uh, we start a couple sophomore guards, um, Jack Farrell and Max Bosco. We bring another sophomore guard, Griffin Korniger, uh, off the bench as the first guy off the bench. Uh, so I think, you know, it was just – a thing of really maturing and just, uh, you know, as a unit playing some guys, uh, extended minutes who hadn't played that much, uh, you know, the previous year. 
interesting enough, Corniker was also starting at one point, was he not? It was almost a decision that you guys made to have him come in as your sixth man that seemed to be the turning point to some degree, whether it's him, the sixth man, or the guy who's starting, whatever the case may be. That decision seemed to kind of spur you guys a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it did because uh, Max Bosco provided a lot of punch for us uh, off the bench, and when we moved him to the starting lineup uh, at the start of uh, each half, um, you know, we we had a very talented offensive group uh, on the floor and also finishing games and so forth. But uh, we were fortunate to win some close games uh, during that stretch and really try to build an identity. And uh, and yeah, I think the change did help us a little bit. I thought maybe nothing against Griffin that his dad had. Rob had finally crossed the line with you. You'd had enough of his coaching from the from the from the from the stands. <laughs> um, you've got a bit of a young team here. You've got two seniors, and, and the rest is is pretty young. You got a good handful of juniors, certainly, and, and Matt Folger is one we won't soon forget about. But this team also, again, feels young. It, it feels like you're still developing somewhat. Yeah, well, certainly, um, we've made great strides throughout the year. Uh, but again, playing in a competitive league like the NESCAC, uh, it's difficult at times uh, to have a lot of su- success um, as a young player just because of uh, the talent level of, of the league and just uh, uh, you know adjusting to the competition level. When you look at, okay, so now you're sitting in this spot where you're a couple of years, I don't remember how many years ago you guys had the similar situation where you ended up uh, losing in the quarterfinals, but everyone knew you were going to make the NCAA tournament. And so I'm sure you guys had a, a a certain mentality to keep practices up, keep being fresh and get ready for March. I'd argue this time around, that's a little bit more of a gray area. Uh, you guys being the fifth in the regional rankings this past week, who knows what a loss to Tufts may or may not do, and who knows what else the region does, to be blunt. I think there's a chance you guys get in, don't get me wrong, but it's a little bit more interesting. Do you, do you are you still keeping up practices? Are you still keeping the guys focused? Or are you giving them some time to lick their wounds? You know, we, we took the same approach as we did last uh, year. We took uh, a few days off right away and then got back to practice. Uh, uh, we went back to practice yesterday. We just got off the practice floor uh, today. And we'll, we'll practice tomorrow, take the weekend off, and, uh, you know, watch the show on Monday. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get a call what's do you have do you talk about it is this something that's discussed with the team did you go in saying listen we got to make sure we get past this game or is it not one of those conversations and i asked having had a mixture of answers from coaches in recent weeks you know it hasn't been much that has been discussed and uh you know obviously the guys were uh down you know after losing the tufts on on, on saturday but Again, we're dealing with an unknown. We yeah. we don't know. I, I think we have a, a fairly strong resume, but uh, you know, uh, a lot of teams do, and it it really comes down to some of the conference tournaments and some of the favorites winning that allow you know more spots, and you know, hopefully it will at least get to the board at some point uh, during the process. Mm-hmm. And and um, again, I think uh, you know I think we will be ready if if called, but. Uh, Every year there are teams around the country. You know, it's really hard to measure different teams from different conferences and different regions of the country and so forth in, in a comparison set where last year with our strength, uh, not strength of schedule, but our uh, win percentage being a, a little bit higher, mm-hmm. I had more comfort 
that we would get a call. And this year, I think it's sort of more on the bubble. Yeah. Quickly about the team again, Jack Farrell leading the way as a sophomore. Again, that youth I was talking about, 16 points a game, almost five rebounds a game. Nearly four assists a game, plus a steal and a half. Uh, Mac Bosco, as you mentioned, Max, the sophomore, 15 points a game, three assists a game as well. Uh, Matt Folger, who we mentioned, 15 points a game, and he hauls in nearly nine rebounds a game, nearly a double-double really for him. Eric McCord, nearly a double-double, 9.5 points, 9.9 rebounds for the senior. I'm sure he'd love to get one more game to bump that to finish as a double-double. That foursome is certainly good, but you mentioned Cornerker, you mentioned some of these other guys. Uh, you go, what, about eight, nine deep in every single game. It, it, do the stats tell us the whole story, or is there more to the story? Well, I, I think the stats tell us that we're a very balanced team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we play well on both sides of the ball. Uh, we're top ten in the country in, in rebounds uh, per game. We're top 20 in the country in assists per game. We're top five in the country in block shots. So it's a team that can win in a variety of different ways. And, um, you know, we're really led, Dave, with our, our seniors. Uh, Eric McCord has really been a soldier in our program. Uh, big, strong post player, defends the position well, runs the floor, um, gives us some scoring. Uh, but as an offensive rebounder, he's tremendous. Uh, he's just relentless on the offensive boards, uh, getting us uh, second and third opportunities. And then Halal Dahlia. Uh, has really been the glue guy for us uh, in his senior year. Mm-hmm. Both our captains have really led great uh, in terms of a, you know uh, being a captain of a, of a lot of youngsters uh, in the program and being a great example. But uh, Halal has stepped up his defense and he really helps us, uh, you know, by being an offensive player that doesn't uh, necessarily look overly aggressively for his own shot. So he runs the offense, he makes smart plays, and again, you know, defensively he's helped us a great deal uh, during our season. NESCAC's interesting. Eight teams above 500 overall records. Bowden, uh, the lowest on that totem pole at 15-9, and nine, though they're, they were 4-6 uh, and six in conference play. Uh, Tufts at 12-13 and 13 now. Um, and then Bates and, and Connecticut College rounded out the bottom. We've always known the NESCAC's uh, a tough conference, but I think sometimes for those uh, further away from the NESCAC, it's harder to understand with such a, a different um, schedule, as it were, in, for conference play. From your vantage point, how much has changed with the NESCAC over the years? Uh, the balance of the league. Uh, when I first started coaching in the NESCAC, uh, Dave, uh, it was Williams and Amherst, and uh, sometimes Trinity getting into the mix, uh, but there was a really a big gap, and a lot of times the first place team uh, uh, might go undefeated or have a loss. Uh, you know, two years in a row, uh, got uh, teams tied for the top of the league. I've had three losses out of the ten games, so it just really speaks to you know eight teams, uh, you know, within two games, you know, of the conference schedule and. And again, just really, really competitive athletics in the NESCAC. One concern I've heard um, from a few is that in a few years, just the way the NESCAC starts practices and schedules and the way the Division Three season now starts and the way you guys don't start to the weekend before Thanksgiving, two, about two and a half weeks of the season is going to be done and dusted by the time you guys tip up for the first time. And that out-of-conference opponents might be farther to f- or are harder to find, or at least quality ones. Do you have that same concern 
Are are you looking that far ahead at at what you need you guys need to do because you have to find so many games, especially you guys, because you don't even have the secondary games like the little three and the main three. Yeah, that, that's been my biggest concern. It's just the overall scheduling. Um, you know, it was interesting this past summer in June, I was left searching for five games, and I, I came up with a. You know, an additional road game in Philadelphia after already having Swarthmore on our <laughs> schedule, I was able to schedule Pitt, Bradford, and and Hilbert in uh, Bradford, PA, and Buffalo, New York, and they're not exactly around the corner for no. us. No, so it's it's always been a concern in terms of uh, how to put together our schedule, and I, I've always felt that you know having a challenging non-league schedule uh, to go along with the NESCAC grind uh, is really important for our team to develop and to, to really improve. And uh, it, it's really become very, very difficult in recent years to you know put that schedule together. Is it getting to the point that maybe the conference needs to re-examine things? Uh, to be honest with you, uh, as a conference, we really haven't looked at uh, adding additional games probably for the last uh, 12 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, years ago, we had some discussions and it didn't lead very far. Um, so I, I'm not confident that, uh, you know, we're going to go to a double round robin or a split uh, where you play uh, half the league um, one additional time. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of conversations uh, heading in that direction. Does it almost have to be a, a moment where everybody sees the light before that happens? Or do you think? That can be a something that's seen a little bit further in advance to keep you all from being in a bit of a bind. Well, I, I, I'm not sure if uh, the other institutions are having the same difficulties in terms sure. of uh, you know putting the schedule together. Uh, I do know that uh, when I get on the uh, scheduling board, uh, there's usually some deskacks uh, searching <laughs> because we have to find 14 non-league games. Yeah, uh, so that's that's a little bit of a challenge. For some conference or for some schools, that is their conference schedule, fourteen games, uh, <laughs> or or thereabouts. So you certainly have a lot. Just f- appreciate the, the thoughts. I, I was just kind of curious again, hearing uh, different words out of that neck of the woods. That in a couple of years, the calendar may be really kind of come back and bite you guys uh, to some degree. Uh, Coach, appreciate the time you took to join us. Um, we'll look forward to seeing if we see your name on uh, Monday's show. But more importantly, if we even select it on Sunday's show. Uh, good luck keeping the guys focused. In the meantime, as always, we give uh, you the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? Well, just again, you know, we're really uh, happy with the work that you do with uh, D3 Hoops, uh, putting the spotlight on the student-athletes, and uh, they work very, very hard, and uh, there's a, a tremendous amount of uh, good players uh, at our level, and and I think for them to get recognition is uh, really great. But uh, keep doing what you're doing, and it's really well appreciated around the country. Well, thank you, Coach. Appreciate it very much. Take care of yourself, and we'll look forward to talking to you down the road. Okay, I hope to speak with you. Absolutely. Take care. Take care. <laughs> 
Jeff Brown joining us from Middlebury on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. All interviews on the Hoopsville Hotline, courtesy of our partners at Blue Frame Technology and their industry-leading production truck software. Is your college ready to showcase its teams for a reliable and innovative video streaming service that won't break your budget? Blue Frame's advanced digital broadcast tools will help take your broadcast to the next level. Learn more today by visiting BlueFrameTech.com. That's www.BlueFrameTech.com. Ryan Scott lets us know that Jim Calhoun in St. Jones of Connecticut has pulled off another upset in the GNAC. They are now on to the GNAC Finals. Um, I can't remember who they'll play, but we'll check in on that. And MIT just lost on a buzzer beater from WPI. MIT was down 35-17 at halftime. They lose on a buzzer beater. That will most likely pop another bubble. And interestingly enough, just getting off the phone with Jeff Brown, that will put MIT most likely, I would assume, ahead or keep MIT ahead of Middlebury in those regional rankings, which would keep Middlebury from getting to the table. So those are the kinds of up, uh, the, of upsets. And there's others that have already taken place. We will take a break. When we come back, we will go through some of the results that we have already seen around the country that could put some bubble teams into some jeopardy. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. More Hoops when we get back. Big shots. Big dunks. This trophy is not given. It must be earned. The 2019 NCAA Division III Men's Basketball Championship, March 15th and 16th at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum Arena in Fort Wayne. With his third triple. Visit NCAA.com slash tickets and secure your seats today. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. 
we place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, here on this Thursday evening. Bubble Trouble is we're talking about, and that trouble is already popping up. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us dave.mchugh at d3sports.com. You can also um, join us on the chat rooms, whether in Facebook or YouTube. Bill, I see your question. Hang on. I will get to it. We were talking about upsets already taking place. Um, Ryan giving us that information. Um, they... Uh, Let's see here. Nichols ends up winning, so that saves a bubble for now. But Capital has lost, or looks like they're going to lose. We've got to update our scoreboard, by the way. Um, there we go. Hit a little refresh here. Um, Nichols ends up winning 87-79 to save that bubble for now. On the men's side, we mentioned MIT going down to WPI. MIT was down 35-17 at halftime. Outscores at WPI 36-20 in the second half, but it wasn't enough. Uh, according to WPI, Colin McNamara drained a 14-footer uh, to beat the Horn uh, as the fifth seed defeated the top seed. Uh, MIT lost 55-53 in the semifinals. That will pop a bubble. Bill asked, what do Middlebury and MIT losses mean to the LEC teams, Little East? Could the Little East get two teams into the dance? Here's why I'm going to say no, and here's why I'm going to say that. One of those teams is losing, and so one of those teams is just as equal as they were beforehand to Williams and – I mean to um, – I'm sorry, MIT and the Middlebury and everybody else. Remember, in the Northeast right now and, – and by the way, I was talking earlier about rankings. I was looking at week two for some reason, week three. Amherst is one, Hamilton two, Williams three, Nichols four, MIT five, Middlebury six – then you get into the LEC and Keene State and Eastern Connecticut, and then Gordon, Wesley, and Colby. MIT and Middlebury have already lost. Keene State or Eastern Connecticut's going to lose, if not both of them. You got to figure one's going to lose and one gets the AQ for argument's sake. So on paper, I don't see any reason that they're going to leapfrog in front of MIT or Middlebury now. Nichols has won. If Nichols were to lose, it's another at large team that stays ahead of the LEC. And you've got to figure. You know, in fact, you know that Amherst, Hamilton, and Williams, two of those three, most likely, if not all three, will stay in, in front of those LEC teams. So, no, I, I don't think the MIT or Middlebury losses help the LEC whatsoever because neither of those teams are both going to win out this week and, and be able to boost their resumes to get ahead of them. Now, argument could be, the LEC teams are going to win more than Middlebury and MIT. Here's the thing, though. There's a huge gap. They might get ahead of Middlebury. But you're not going to get ahead of necessarily MIT. At 22-3, and three, Middlebury's at 17-7, and seven, Keene State 18-7, and seven, you know, Eastern Connecticut at 19-6. and six. That's your, your win-loss gap. That's, that's a sizable gap. I don't necessarily see them jumping ahead of MIT. They might go ahead of a Middlebury because Middlebury won't play. They won't boost their resume. Their SOS will change. The results versus regionally ranked will adjust depending on who's ranked and all. But they're not going to necessarily get enough data to jump ahead of MIT. So, no, I don't think it changes the LEC. I still think the LEC is a win-bid league. There's a very outside chance they're two-bid. 
but you're going to have one, two, three, minimum four teams sitting at the table in the Northeast before any LEC team gets to the table as an at-large. Minimum four, possibly five, max six. So I just don't see the LEC getting getting anything out of this deal because of MIT and Middlebury losing. I, I don't think the data is there to get them up. Maybe they get ahead of Middlebury. And, and I think that's where Middlebury needs to worry, is that an LEC team could get ahead of them and end up blocking Middlebury. I just don't know if they get ahead of, of MIT. Granted, MIT losing to a non-regionally ranked team in WPI may not help them, but I just don't see right now MIT dropping behind one or two LEC teams and falling to to six, uh, to seventh. Really, I don't see it. Uh, Nichols, outside chance they could fall because the committee sees an extra loss and drops them, but they've got an extra win now. So I don't, I don't see it. I just don't see the LEC benefiting at all from from losses. Uh, considering again that only one of them is going to, uh, at least one of them is going to have take a loss, if not both of them, take a loss. Um, so back to the capital comment. I got to double check capital, capital men's basketball. Uh, they are going to lose. It's clear. Baldwin Wallace is going to knock them off 81-67. What that does, actually, Marietta losing early in the week didn't necessarily pop a bubble, but Capital could. You go into the regional rankings in the Great Lakes, and Capital sitting in the three spot, Marietta in the one spot. you got to figure they're either going to play blocker now or they're going to fall enough behind that even Capital might fall out of the rankings. I, I think Capital's Here's the problem. Capital's now 19 and 7. Calling up the calculator to remember what 19 what that winning percentage is. 826. Yeah, I well, hold on. Making sure I did that right. 730. Yeah, I did it wrong. Um, so they got a 730 winning percentage. I think Capital's gonna end up getting in, but they might push some teams down. What it might do, interestingly enough, depending on what happens with Worcester and Wittenberg is it might boost LaRoche up high enough to get back into the hosting conversation. Uh, I'm actually a little surprised they fell to five. Uh, again, SOS playing a little bit of a role there. John Carroll isn't going to do enough. Well, John Carroll will help boost the SOS a little bit, but it won't help the VRRO for LaRoche. But LaRoche could get back into a, in a conversation about hosting if the, if the committee needs. Um, so that's where capital capital probably busted a bubble. Marietta didn't necessarily do that because only one team's coming out of the OAC, obviously with, with an AQ Marietta at one capital at three, Wab uh, Mount union sitting at six, uh, and Wilmington sitting at seven, uh, were kind of that grouping if I'm not mistaken. And I'm actually going to double check that because the great lakes is jam packed, obviously with OAC teams. Uh, Mount Union ended up finishing on top. Marietta Capital, Wilmington, right. Okay, I had that right. Um, I'm trying to see. I, there's really – so really, I mean, it, Capital now losing guarantees a bubble gone because now Marietta and Capital both need it. I don't think Mount – Wilmington definitely wasn't in a spot to steal a, an AQ or an at-large. Mount Union might be, might be in a spot. It depends on what they do. Now that they can win and move up, should they lose, they might be in a position to take an AQ, but I just don't know if they get ahead of Marietta and Capital. Do they get ahead? I mean, they're basically what this is, is it's guaranteeing Wabash and Baldwin-Wallace are on the outside looking in, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, but Capital losing today and now Marietta losing early in the week is guaranteed a bubble has popped somewhere. 
The question is who wins it. If Mount Union wins it, then it's less damage. If Mount Union loses, there's an outside chance of another bubble going pop there, if that makes any sense. Um, we'll check out some other scores here in a moment. I'm just double-checking to see if we have any other emails or comments or questions. Uh, Brendan, if you're listening, you had a question about Loris. I was looking at the wrong darn regional rankings. I don't know how I called up the second-week regional rankings, uh, but I did. Uh, Loris is in the three spot in the West regions. I still think they need to beat Dubuque because here's the thing. If they lose to Dubuque, there's a good chance that St. Thomas and St. John's move ahead of them. One of them, let's say for argument's sake, stays ahead of them because of an at-large. One of them goes in as an AQ. And I think that you you enter the opportunity for Pomona Pitzer to get ahead of them too. I think Loris needs to beat Dubuque. If they lose a Dubuque, I think it hurts them. I think I, I will stand by that even though I, I was looking at the wrong data uh, nonetheless. I'm uh, going to quickly hit some updates here. Get some score updates around the country and double check if anything else has happened that we need to keep an eye on. Scranton in women's basketball got past Moravian rather easily, 84-54. Uh, DeSales got by King, 71-56, so no bubbles being popped there. Um, looking through the rest, Christopher Newport got past Mary Washington in women's basketball, so that will keep things, excuse me, intact. Southern Virginia got past Salisbury, bringing the Seagulls season to an end in women's basketball. Marymount got past Immaculata. They will not get the Pool B. St. Thomas is going to have that wrapped up and, and done and dusted, but Marymount stays in the at-large conversation at the very least with that win. Um, oh, Babson women losing. I don't think that's going to really shake up anything off the top of my head. Babson sitting in the seventh spot in the Northeast region. Mass Dartmouth's behind them. I suspect Babson will now fall behind Mass Dartmouth. That might allow Mass Dartmouth to maybe get an at-large opportunity, but I think Mass Dartmouth's got to win that conference too. I don't think I don't think the LEC is a multiple bid league this year in men's or women's basketball in any way, shape, or form. Um, by the way, my mother is watching. Hi, mom. Uh, she didn't realize the message was going to come right to me. <laughs> Pressure, nonetheless. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um. By the way, back. So the other question that came up on the men's side was the central, and I and I misspoke about Wheaton, and I got to go back to that uh, central region. So Wheaton is still in the three hole. Now I'm going to stick with what I was saying. North Central in the four hole. You just can't. What I had was I had lacrosse higher. That was the second week rankings. You just can't let lacrosse get into that conversation again. If Wheaton loses, they go. They're now 19 and seven. can't get my calculator to work i think wheaton's probably okay to get in if they lose i i just i think it's dangerous well well they'd really be 18 and 8 wouldn't they um 692 winning percentage mm. the real challenge is mike shower is on the uh national committee it would remove him from the national committee while they're discussing him that would be a challenge to say the least uh that'd be unfortunate i think wheaton gets in north central i think's got to win that certainly you just don't want lacrosse to get into the conversation, plain and simple. If lacrosse splits them or gets ahead of them, there's problems. Here's the thing. What I'm noticing here is that clearly other data is coming into play here, and we got to see how that other data would change things up. Uh, Stevens Point's got a six-point lead on Oshkosh at uh, the midway point. Randolph-Macon defeated Randolph rather easily. Of course, Randolph-Macon defeating the formerly known as Randolph-Macon Women's College. 79-42, so the top dog in the ODAC stays alive, which is good. Um, St. Thomas Augsburg just getting underway here right now. 
That's a game you should keep an eye on. Augsburg looking for the upset. We mentioned the upset already at WPI over MIT. That's going to pop a bubble. Um, St. John's has an easy lead right now on Bethel. Bethel only scored 18 points in the first half. And we mentioned Capital losing. Nichols came back to win that one against Western New England. That's a big win. Um, checking to see if there's any other games that that finished that will affect the rankings. Well, WNL lost to Virginia Wesley in 69-77. WNL, while well, had an out, 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 outside chance of, well, they were fourth on the men's side, and they now take a loss. I think WNL just played themselves out of the tournament, which is unfortunate. Uh, I, I they needed that win. They needed to bolster their resume a little bit more. I think they've just lost the chance at an at-large bid because the rest of the ODAC will improve around them, in especially in the re, in the regional rankings. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor got a good win there, but Mary Harden Baylor's got a win out in the out of ASC. The ASC on the men's side is not as strong as on the women's side, and I don't think the men have any chance of any more than one team coming out of there. Uh, as of now, you look at those regional rankings in the South again, and the highest-ranked team is Mary Harden-Baylor at 8. just tells you just where those Texas teams rank right now, which is polar opposite of what we've seen on the women's side. Um, Guilford got past Emory and Henry, so there's another example of another team, Emory and Henry, who was sitting in those South regional rankings. Um, actually, they weren't. I apologize. I'm confusing them with the women, so that's really not relevant. apologize for all of you just kind of did a whip. Did it hurt your neck doing a whip turn maybe on something I said? Uh, let's see. What other results pop up here that, that would show that a, a significant game would affect things? I don't see anything huge. York got past Mary Washington. That's good for the Mid-Atlantic. Um, Drew got past Scranton. That's going to end Scranton's chances at an at-large, I think. Scranton on the men's side in the great in the mid Atlantic was sitting in or they weren't even ranked this week. Drew had gotten ahead of them. Drew has now beaten them three times. I see no reason that Scranton can get in. They had a 508 SOS at the beginning of the week or at the time the data was was done for the regional rankings. That will slightly go up, but not by much by playing Drew. And now they pick up a six loss and are not even ranked now. Scranton out of the tournament. The landmark will have one team. It looks like it, it will be Drew. Unless, and, and by the way, it, it's going to have to be the AQ, and Drew at least wins that game. Um, Emerson brings Springfield's season to a halt. Oh, talk about a tough season for Springfield. By the way, since I bring up Springfield, tip of the hat to their athletics department. Sent some um, nice mementos to us as a thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, we will try and maybe don one of those mementos at some point. Springfield men basketball, men's basketball had a lot of high expectations from a lot of us. Finished the season 11 and 15. Just not what Charlie Brock dialed up, I'm sure. Uh, one of the best players in the country will be back, though. Look forward to seeing how they, they do. Um, I'm just making sure there isn't anything else. Oh, we do have some emails. Yay! Rick Minton actually says, WNL lost by eight. Just straightening things out. Always good to hear you. Yeah. Uh, did I say they? Did I say otherwise? Oh, it says you said they won. I apologize, Rick. You're right. I, I flipped the score. They beat Virginia Wesleyan. So WNL stays alive. Wow. Got that one backwards. Uh, WNL stays alive. Um, that's good. They needed that win. That might give the ODAC an outside chance at a third team. And I say that with, let's just say, you know, let's just go on a, on a crazy here. Randolph-Macon, let's say Guilford ends up getting the championship game, not WNL. There's an outside chance WNL's in a spot now. They're now 19-7, and seven, make it 19-8. and, and eight. 
they might actually get a third team from the ODAC in. That That's an interesting scenario there. That's a good win for WNL. Sorry about that, Rick. Appreciate the uh, correction. We make those mistakes every once in a while while trying to do this show solo. Um, yeah, the top seed in the uh, new Mac, as we mentioned, Babson women losing. I think that might hurt their chances of an at-large. Trying to go through the rest of this. I'm more trying to figure out how I flip the scores. Mount Union def brings John Carroll's season to an end. We kind of hinted at that earlier. John Carroll finishes 13-14, and 14, though they were playing well late uh, with wins over Wilmington and Marietta at the end of the season, but lose to, to Mount Union. And I think John Carroll will be tough to, tough to play next year, maybe a retooling season uh, this year. But Mount Union, you know, securing a, a maybe, like I said, it, that's improving their resume, getting them in better shape. But all of what I'm saying tonight could change with games later tonight, could change with games Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And when we get here Sunday, it's going to be crazy. Suniac get one team in or two this year. I'm on the I'm on the thought, Tim, that Suniac only gets one in. Plattsburgh's in the best shape. They got Suico's got a win, and Plattsburgh gets an at large. I'm just not that confident in it because the numbers out of the out of the East are not that good. Um, whoops. Apparently the uh, rankings from the uh, NCA are not working. Ah, great. Uh, I'm going to go into our favorite man's numbers. Let's see what he's got. He's got Plattsburgh with a 527 SOS, a 540 non-conference SOS, 6-5 and five versus regionally ranked opponents. Yeah, I think Plattsburgh's got a decent chance. Oswego six and four versus regionally ranked opponents with a five twenty five. I'm just worried the East is going to be looked upon as not as strong. Yes, I think there's a chance at two, not at large. If both of them are at large, I think there's a problem because that adds losses that makes them both minimum twenty and six or twenty one and six. Um, but that's as far, by the way, as the East goes. There's an outside chance, Tim. There's an outside chance. The problem is the more bubbles get burst by better teams, the less likelihood. Um, will you make an NCAA Finals prediction or Final Four guess after Selection Monday? Probably not. Uh, I am on the broadcast crew for that Final Four, and I don't want anybody thinking I've got some point of view in mind that dictates how I'm going to call a game, even though it's completely irrelevant. So I probably won't make a Final Four how prediction. However, what I may do on Thursday's show is I might have a bunch of others submit their final four predictions and run those. Um, I just got a text NCA site taken down tonight at nine o'clock for maintenance before the weekend. So that's why we can't see those numbers except for our, our friend um, who's got them crunching them on his end. His are pretty accurate. Not got a lot more left in us here, boys, but if you got more questions, send them our way. We'll try and answer them as soon as we can. Um, looking around to see if we've got some more. Um, yeah, as they said, the inaugural season of the program, the seventh-seeded St. Joseph's of Connecticut are headed to the GNAC Championships on Saturday under head coach Jim Calhoun and Glenn Miller, USJ top six-seed St. John's. Uh, St. Joseph's of Maine, 91-86 on the road after upsetting number two Suffolk on Tuesday. So, yeah, congratulations to them. Um, and it uh, looks like they'll play Albertus Magnus. Albertus Magnus defeated Emmanuel 104-93. Yep, they'll host that title game. So St. Joseph's will 
come home from Maine, get ready to take on Albertus Magnus down in uh, Connecticut. That'll be a short drive for them. Another score, Elizabethtown defeated Catholic in women's basketball. Not that that really changes up too much of anything, to say the least. Last call for questions. If you got them, send them our way. We'll do a programming update here momentarily, and we'll just double-check a couple more scores to make sure we see how things are going. Um, so programming update Sunday. We'll be back on the air at 6 o'clock Eastern. Uh, we will talk to some teams that have either punched their tickets or are, or at large with bubble hopes. Those will be intermixed throughout the show. We'll also, um, something new, we'll talk to each committee chair briefly in a pre-taped interview um, before their weekends get crazy, but we'll run them on Sunday to remind everybody of how this all works. Also, what they've been dealing with this season in terms of rankings, especially on the men's side. Remember getting rid of that SOS win-loss metric, which I actually kind of support. Um, talking to them about that transition and not trying to go too deep because we don't need to go in the weeds. If you really want to go in the weeds on that, go back to our marathon show. But also, what are they expecting to try and pull off or do or execute or whatever with the bracket? What are they trying to do with the bracket? What are they trying to do when it comes to um, hosting and all that jazz? Remember, women have priority the first weekend. So it's an odd-numbered year. Women, so if there's two teams, say Amherst, Oshkosh, or two off the top of my head, um, St. St. Thomas possibly, there's some others. Women, if they want to host that weekend, then the men have to find another place to send that pod. It does not mean necessarily, necessarily, that they will immediately go to the next team that's got the highest ranking and have them host. It's really about where can they move that pod because you don't want necessarily the next highest team. It, it, could just, it could do more damage to the bracket, to be honest. It's easier if they can to move the pot and maybe move one or one team just as a result of that, still treating that that tops that top-ranked team as a top-ranked team. But it's also complicated depending on where all that takes place. In the second weekend, the men will then have priority. So if the St. Thomas's, the, the Amherst, the Oshkosh's of the world continue to move on, and they're both in a, in a hosting opportunity again. Now the men would have it the second weekend. That's in odd-numbered years. Um, so there you go. I hope that answered that question. We'll be on the air at 6 o'clock on Sunday. Then a reminder, 12.30 Eastern time The on Monday, the men's bracket will be announced. I'll be involved with that. Looking forward to it. I think this is the fourth or fifth year, to be honest. Lost track. Then at 2.30 Eastern time on Monday, the women's brackets will be announced. You can get all that information at d3hoops.com. And then on Monday night at 7 o'clock Eastern time, we will be back in the chair to break down the brackets and talk to the committee chairs and hopefully some other coaches who have popped into the rankings. And again, not to disappoint any of you out there, but I probably will not be making a Final Four prediction on the men's side. I might make one on the women's side. I'm not involved in the broadcast on that side, but I may do it there. Um, speaking of Final Four, City of Salem, City of Fort Wayne, want to thank them for coming on board and, and being sponsors here, advertisers with us. Don't forget, you can get tickets for um, all of those Final Four locations, both at College uh, Rono College for the women in Salem, Virginia, and, of course, at the um, Allen County War Memorial Coliseum in Fort Wayne on the men's side. In fact, uh, you can get your tickets at muspartans.com slash NCAA. 
muspartans.com slash NCAA to get your tickets on the men's side. Uh, we'll double check the women's side, but I think you can go to Roanoke College Athletics to get your ticket information there. You can also get your ticket information on NCAA.com. They have that information there. We will have that information ourselves on the website. So just double checking. Another game to keep an eye on tonight on the men's side. Um, Whitman's taking on Puget Sound. That's one game. But Whitworth taking on Linfield. Whitworth's got to win that game, folks. They have got to get to the title game, especially against Whitman. That game's coming up at 10 o'clock Eastern time. You can watch it. I would suggest you do so. Whitworth has got to beat Linfield. I'm not that convinced they can the way they've been playing of late. And this is a team I thought was one of the better teams I had seen um, in a number of years. So that might tell you a lot. In the WIAC, would Lacrosse and Stevens Point play if the Oh, I already saw that one. I apologize. It would Lacrosse and Stevens Point uh if be in if they play in the championship. And again, I don't think so. I think Lacrosse might have a good chance, but Stevens Point needs to win to get in. Plain and simple. Double checking any other uh by the way, Stevens Point does lead Oshkosh 37-27 with 15-50 remaining in that game. Um keep an eye on that. Uh, Oshkosh is in. I'm not worried about that. But Stevens Point's trying to bolster that resume to get into the tournament. Um, St. John's all over Bethel, 55-26. That game is going to be is done and dusted, and it's not even over. 11-20 left in that one, and St. John's is going to move on easily. Really quick check of the women's scores. Make sure there's nothing jumping out at us. Any other finals that we may have missed? I don't really see anything else. Women has really been a bit of chalk, though tonight on the men's side it has not. We already had a couple of upsets. MIT losing, Capital losing, Nichols nearly losing. Um, those games certainly not going their way. Roanoke's got a lead on Lynchburg right now. There's another one. Uh, that's late in the first half, almost halftime. It's an eight-point lead for Roanoke. Both teams trying to get into the tournament. Lynchburg's in a better spot, but Lynchburg, again, has to win, like these other teams we've talked about. Cannot get stalled out in the quarterfinals of the ODAC tournament in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and I think that's all. I don't see any other real quick scores uh, that jump out at me. Gordon won, though they're, they need to win to get in as well to keep their hopes alive they're not going to get in that large bid either and that will wrap up our show here tonight i hope you enjoyed it you can tune in on sunday starting at um six o'clock as we mentioned and you can we will we will do our mock selection still putting our team together but bob quillman and ryan scott will be part of the team on the men's side i've got a wrinkle i might try and throw a third name into that on the women's side, we'll have uh, James Wagner and B.J. Spiegelmeyer back. Also, hopefully, Gordon Mann as well, working on some tech sides to get Gordon involved to make our selections on the women's side. And, of course, then um, Pat Coleman and, and others will bracket that all up uh, after the fact and post that stuff on d3hoops.com on Sunday. And, yeah, there you go. So big show on 6 o'clock Sunday. We hope you tune in. Tell your friends to tune in as well. Follow us on Twitter at D3Hoopsville. You can communicate with us also using the hashtag Hoopsville or follow us. You can also follow us on Instagram at D3Hoopsville as well, though we mainly promote the show there. Of course, Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville is where you can follow us there. And, of course, our website is D3Hoopsville.com, part of the D3Hoops family. I want to thank our advertisers and sponsors, of course, Blue Frame Technology for being our hotline sponsor. Again, go to blueframetech.com if you want more information on the uh, on Blue Frame Technologies, both production truck software and, of course, their streaming uh, opportunities. City of Salem and the City of Fort Wayne for their uh, support of the show, but also the fact that they're the Final Four hosts, folks. 
So uh, make sure you you head to, to those uh, locations to buy your tickets. Why not, right? Uh, the, the Final Four should be terrific in both cities, uh, especially the All-Star Games and, and whatnot. We'll be there on the men's side. Myself, Pat Coleman, I think Ryan Scott. On the women's side, Gordon Mann, at least. I think there's a, maybe another name or two we'll throw in there at some point down the road. Of course, I want to thank National Association of Basketball Coaches and the Women's Basketball Coaches Association as well. Um, we'll have another center court segment next week. Uh, got some ideas, believe it or not. Even the NCAA tournament continuing, got some ideas to continue that. And then, of course, I want to thank um, D3Hoops.com for their support as well. Uh, that'll do it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I want to thank our guests who appeared on the show. Of course, they include Cameron Hill at Trinity, uh, Kristen Carrot at Cedar Crest, and Jeff Brown at Middlebury. And I want to thank the sports information directors, Justin at Trinity, uh, Leroy at Cedar Crest, and Dane, especially at Middlebury, for their help in putting this show together and getting our guests on the air. Also want to thank uh, Don Stone. Uh, Don Stoner at Augsburg for helping out with the Augsburg sound uh, with Booker um, Copeland earlier in the show. Appreciate his effort and WCCO for allowing us to run their story as well. There you did. Buttoned it up. We're done and dusted. You've been listening to Hoops Hill presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. If you want to talk about Division Three basketball, you've got to listen to Hoops Hill. We'll be back on the air Sunday at 6 o'clock Eastern. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you on Sunday. Good night.